Hello, this is David Leet of Leet's Culinaria with another episode of our Author's Answer Series. Today, we are speaking with the always fabulous Virginia Willis from Atlanta, Georgia. Earlier this year, she published the book Bon Appetit, Y'all. In it, she deftly blends the cooking of her Southern family with classic French training in the hands of Madame Anne Willen, the doyenne of La Varenne Cooking School in France. All right, so Virginia, let's talk about these unlikely bedfellows of Southern cooking and French cooking. Now, where's this intersection for you? Well, you can tell from my accent, of course, that I'm Southern and yes. grew up in uh, grew up in Georgia and in Louisiana. But I went to a French culinary school. I went to l'Academie de Cuisine in Bethesda, Maryland. And then I also went to school in France. And sort of growing up and developing a style of cooking, and I like to use the French techniques with Southern ingredients. And do you find that there's a overlap between Southern cooking and French cooking? I definitely do. I, I often say, especially with, with Western-style cooking, and I think that, that you, you would know this as well with other styles of European cooking, but simple country cooking, simple country peasant food mm-hmm. is, is practically universal. I mean, there's different, there's different uh, names. I mean, head cheese in Georgia is fromage de tête in France, but <laughs> right. it's both using, using up every little bit of the pig. And what are some of the similar ingredients that you found while studying in France and also cooking at home with your family? Well, there's definitely, well, we get, the first thing I think would definitely be pork. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in, in country cooking, especially when people were poor, um, in the past, uh, meat was treated almost like a condiment mm-hmm. um, as a flavoring agent. Um, not everyone had the, the, the chicken in every pot, so to speak. Um, so it was just a, a use of pork, a bacon, ham. That's, you know, you know that's, that's found both in France and in, in the South and in, in Southern cooking. And then the vegetables. Just a, a, the, the South is a very agrarian society, and people have always had home gardens. Mm-hmm. And definitely that's a tradition that's uh, living strong in France as well. Okay. I ask because in the work that I've done with Portugal, for instance, kale and collard greens are, well, collard greens here in the, in the South, but kale in Portugal, of course, pork is huge, cornmeal. So there's a real yes. overlap. But again, Portugal, like some of the country dishes in France, they are all very um, country and they're very poor dishes. That's where they all originated from. Yes, yes, definitely. And I think that um, there's just so many similarities. And, you know, the, the South definitely fries a lot of things. Mm. And um, that... I'm, I'm trying to just make some changes with that that are a little bit lighter and healthier. But um, the, the the French, there's a, quite a few country-style French dishes um, that are fried as well. Now, what I found interesting about the book, and I want to clarify this for the listeners, is that not every recipe is a combination of French technique and Southern ingredients. Some are just pure, flat-out French, correct? Yes, that's correct. I, I, it's It's recipes and stories from three generations of Southern cooking. So it's the Really old-fashioned recipes from my grandmother, which would include, uh, you know, fried chicken. Um, I have a recipe in the book for fried fatback, which I thought my editor was going to pass out. (laughs) Um, And, you know, my grandmother did live to be 92. Good for her. Um, Yeah, exactly. So there's the really old-fashioned, down-home, southern, southern dishes from my grandmother. My When we were living in Louisiana when I was younger, um, my mother started making Cajun and Creole dishes. So there's the gumbo and etouffee and jambalaya, different sort of um, Louisiana cuisine. And then and then my recipes, which are mostly a combination of French and Southern. But as you know, there are some purely French dishes. I have a my version of coca vin and my version of boeuf bourguignon. Yeah, I saw that definitely. And also you have uh, some new American dishes in there too, right? Some um, interesting recipes and combinations there too. 
Yes. Uh, one of my favorites that I've been making this summer while on book tour has been the black-eyed pea salad. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we so often use hog gel or bacon fat or, um, you know, some bit of pork fat in the black-eyed peas. And what I've simply done is just, it's almost like a, it's almost like a chopped salad in a way. The, blanch the black-eyed peas in salted water, mm-hmm. corn on the cob that's been cooked, chopped tomato, chopped celery, and an apple cider vinaigrette. And it's important that all the vegetables are about the same size of the pea. So with every mouthful, you just get this burst of flavor. And I like to use it as a side dish or as a bed for grilled chicken or grilled shrimp. That's interesting because in my book, which is coming out next year, I have a very similar dish. It's it's kind of interesting, <laughs> which is black-eyed peas that have been uh-huh. um, actually cooked in chicken stock. And there is sautéed uh, yellow and red peppers. And mm-hmm. there's some shallot in there, some parsley. And there's a vinaigrette that goes on it, too. Which is very interesting. Yeah, I can't wait to try yours. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of similar uh, recipes, you have one for a crispy fried asparagus. Now, I have one too, so if you tell me yours, I'll tell you mine. So, <laughs> okay, that sounds what's like yours a good about? deal. <laughs> With my recipe, we blanch the asparagus um, in, in salted water and then transfer them to an ice bath, of course, to shock them, to mm-hmm. stop the cooking and to, uh, to set the color. And then I wrap um, either very thinly sliced country ham or prosciutto mm, around the asparagus. And then it's breaded in um, egg and, and whole egg and flour and then fried. And there it's just a it's just a wonderful combination with the tender vegetable and that sweet salty ham and um, although the book is not all about frying, there are, there's a there's a place to fry sometimes, and this one begs for it. See, I agree with you. I see nothing wrong with with frying. As a matter of fact, I just I have recipes in my book for frying, and I just think that the home cook should be judicious about it and use it when they should, and and be helpful about it, and, and not eat it too often. But it's interesting. I like your idea of wrapping the asparagus spears with the the ham. I may steal that, not for the book, but I just may do that at home because. Oh yeah, yeah. Please, I'd love for you to try it. Mine's a little bit different. Uh, it, it's almost the same up until the point that you wrap. Um, we blanch it, and um, what we do is uh, it's more of a, a tempura batter because originally it's interesting because the name of the dish is called Pachinhos de Horta, which means little fish from the garden. And why they call it that in Portugal is because when these originally were green beans, the original recipe, and they're fried up, they kind of look like sort of snarled and, and, and twisted fish. And uh, so they call it little fish from the garden. And uh, this one chef that I know substituted out asparagus and did a lighter batter. And um, so I think that's very interesting. I really want to try my batter, but with wrapping with the ham. That sounds no, that delicious. Sounds that is so poetic, little fish from the garden. Isn't that, that lovely? wonderful, yes. yes. The Portuguese are really good at sort of these very uh, humorous and poetic titles for their recipes. Um, uh-huh. Though a lot of them are deep fried. Um, but I want to find out something. You call your cuisine in the book refined southern cuisine. Right. And I think that's accurate. But I, I want to know, what do some of these dyed-in-the-wool Southerners say about the fact that you're doing things that are not absolutely tried and true and, and, and steeped in deep tradition? Um, I, I've been getting a good response, actually. I think that good. everyone's aware of the fact that, that people, uh, you know, we're not working in the fields all day. We're not, um, they're, they're not, people aren't eating the main meal during the day. I mean, once upon a time, people rose with the sun and worked in the field and, they had the, the the main meal in the, the middle of the day, and the, the the breakfast started with ham and grits and eggs and biscuits, and right. it was just really heavy food. And we don't do that now. I mean, there are, there are very few people that 
that work in the field, so to speak, and everyone, just like everyone everywhere in the United States, is sitting at a desk and not getting enough exercise or, you know, um, having to make a point to exercise. So the response has been great. People appreciate the fact that I'm still true to my Southern roots and yet refining it a bit or infusing it with new flavors, new thoughts, new techniques. I think John T. Edge, a friend of mine, he was quoted recently, and he said that I wasn't it didn't shackle me, that, that I wasn't shackled by Southern food and that my book was not like this homage to lard. Um, and, <laughs> I remember really, him when he wrote, he said that, yes. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, I, you know, the response has been great. People, people appreciate the fact that there are the old-fashioned recipes, but um, people know that, you know, they'll have short lives if we keep eating that way. I think this is where a lot of cookbook writing is going, that it's it's keeping one foot in the past and one foot in the present. I don't think that you can continue writing classic Southern cookbooks or classic Portuguese cookbooks or classic Italian cookbooks. After a while, there's nothing left to mine. And I think we have to move on and, and things develop and things evolve and things change. And um, I think that sort of dual, almost dual focus your book has, I really do think is a harbinger for what's going to be happening. Well, thought? thank you. I, I would agree with you. I mean, there's only so many times that the wheel can be reinvented, you know. Absolutely. Um, you know, even though Cucavan, for example, the, the recipe for that I have in the book that's traditional, I mean, how it's truly not that different. But there are as many different Cucavan recipes in France as our, our grandmothers, so mm-hmm. to speak, you know, mm-hmm. or, or chefs. But with that recipe, for example, one of the things I do is uh, traditionally the, the vegetables are strained out of the sauce and the, the vegetables are discarded. And it's just it's one additional step. And what I do instead is I use an immersion blender mm-hmm. to simply pulverize the vegetables into the sauce. Um, That's smart. It's a, it's, a, it's a bit more realistic, I think, for people. Um, not everybody has a chinois or a tammy or, you know, and, it, right. uh, it's, just, and it's just one more thing to do um, that doesn't necessarily need to be done. Yeah, I agree. The evolution of recipes is really mm-hmm. important. Now, speaking about the evolution of recipes and where some of these began, your family seems like quite... A group of people. Um, (laughs) And I'd like you to talk a little bit (laughs) so you can elucidate for the listeners this real strong matrilineal line, and especially going back to Mem, who is your grandmother. Yes, Mimi. Uh Oh, you call it Mimi. I thought it was Mem. Yeah, Mimi. Mimi. Okay. So it's M E M E, not M I M I, but Mimi. Exactly. And then Didi is your grandfather. Is that, is that how you pronounce it? That's or, of course. Or they, is it no, you're pronouncing. <laughs> no, no. It's pronounced correctly. Of okay. course, those those came about when I was about three years old and couldn't say anything, and then sure. it just sort of stuck. So let's talk um, about Mimi because she's she's a character you could put into a novel. Oh yes, um, she was a really strong woman, just really a great character. She went to college and I recently um, visited the college, and it's in the North Georgia mountains, and she was from. Uh, Literally, probably about five hours away, mm-hmm. a five-hour you know uh, car ride, and that would be in a modern car, not in you know in in, in the early 1900s when, when she went to college. And she went to school and became a teacher, and a, you know it was sort of unusual for a woman um, in the rural South to go to college, but mm-hmm. she did. And her father was um, a sort of a gentleman farmer, and uh, 
she was a spoiled, spoiled child. <laughs> um, and then, uh, gr- you know, grew up, uh, she actually eloped with my grandfather. She did. Uh, which was scandalous. <laughs> and uh, when I, for example, when I, was in, when I was in college and I came home with my hair cut and some sort of asymmetrical funky cut from the 80s, mm-hmm. um, she just had a fit. And then a little bit later, she's sort of giggling to herself and she said that she got in trouble when she went to college and cut her hair like a flapper. So um, I think that she was... Uh, Interesting. You know, you know, thinking about the fact of what she had done. But... My, she would literally like tell my grandfather to take his shirt off so she could wash it. She did, <laughs> yes, <laughs> which I never understood. And uh, one of my favorite stories that I do tell in the book is when I was young, um, we would go camping. They had a motorhome, mm-hmm. and we would go camping for these two, three month trips. I mean, really long trips in the summer. And we would once we started in Georgia and went up. The, uh, through Detroit into Canada and then east. Wow. You know, Ontario, Quebec, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and um, actually went to Newfoundland. Mm-hmm. If you think about Newfoundland as sort of a circle, there's basically a, a U-shaped highway. Mm-hmm. There's two cities on either side. Exactly. We were like at the tip of, just at the very top of the road, halfway across Newfoundland. And my grandmother goes, Sam, which is Dee Dee's real name, Sam, pull over. I'm ready to go home. <laughs> and so my grandfather turned around in the gas station driveway it's and we headed back home. to Georgia. <laughs> it was just as simple as that. I'm ready to go home. And, and that was and it. So he did. When that Mamie spoke, action yeah, was listened. taken. So <laughs> exactly. Uh, was that true? Um, I'm sure it was true because you wrote it in the book. But the yeah. story that um, when the bus came, if all of you weren't uh, finished eating your breakfast, you would hold up the bus. Um, it was actually my mom. Oh, your my mom. Mother. Uh, yeah, my mother uh, and her two sisters. The bus would pull up at the at the end of the driveway, and it's probably about the length of. It's the house is set up off and off the road, and so the the driveway is literally like the length of a football field, if not longer. And she would make it wait. She would make it wait until they had cleaned their plates. That is amazing. <laughs> I mean, you know, they have immort- no one argued with Mimi. <laughs> They've immortalized, you know, the uh, Mama Rose and Gypsy, and obviously someone yeah. has to immortalize Mimi. It's a musical <laughs> or it's a novel yeah. or some movie. That's that's marvelous. Uh, she was uh, the love of my life. I, I I understand that. I have a I had a very deep connection with my maternal grandmother also, and um, it's amazing how they can shape your entire life and uh, even your career choices. And Definitely. your career, actually, you've you've been kind of all over the place. I mean, can you brag a little <laughs> bit? Brag and, and kind of tell us who you who you've cooked for. And I, I really would uh, like to know how you got there, so I can do the same thing. Oh uh, yeah. Well, be careful what you ask for. <laughs> um, I've had I've been so fortunate. My career started here in Atlanta, and I was an apprentice for Natalie Dupree. Mm-hmm. My first job cooking was actually as an apprentice on her cooking show, on her TV show. So oh, that wow. was my very first job in a kitchen. I had it was a history major. I was working in retail management. I loved to cook, but that was pretty much about it. So I worked with Natalie, and then once I uh, worked with Natalie for a few years, she thought that I should go to L'Academie de Cuisine, mm-hmm. with, which was a small school, and I wanted to go specifically to a small school. And then once I went there, I knew I needed to go to France. So I'm very sort of organized, and I have plan A, B, and C, and plan A was Anne Willen and working with her at La Varenne. Mm-hmm. So I uh, auditioned or, or applied for that and was and able did, to And how did you apply? Anne. Was it by cooking for her or? There's a, uh, a questionnaire and essays at the time were needed and references, and uh, it was a three-month program, mm-hmm. um, but 
I wound up staying almost three years. Oh, my. Um, so I, someone asked me the other day if I fell in love, meaning did I fall in love with a person? Right. And I said, no, I fell in love with France. Yeah, well, it's so I did, you certainly know. worthwhile falling in love with. It's a beautiful yes, country. Yes, definitely. So, uh, and then I knew I wanted our project ended, and it was a, a likely, you know, a, a nice break, a time to move on. And I really wanted to work for Martha Stewart mm-hmm. and sort of set my cap in that direction. And Natalie actually sat next to Susan Spungen, who was the food editor at the time, yes. at yes. a luncheon, and um, said, I know someone that needs that you need to have working for you. So wow. I interviewed with Susan and, and got the job, and I became the kitchen director uh, for Martha for her television series. And that was the old series where it was Correct. tape, not live. Okay. Correct. I say it's pre-incarceration. <laughs> P.I. <laughs> Martha, I know, P.I. And that was fantastic. And that's when, you know, we got I got to cook for so many different people because Martha had all these different celebrities and people on her on the show. And she's a, a avid Democrat. And we had a fundraiser for the governor of Connecticut. And President Clinton, who was president at the time, was mm-hmm. a guest. And we, uh, fantastic. I mean, I, I literally called a fisherman in Alaska and had him catch the fish, and less than 24 hours later, I had, you know, f- the freshest salmon imaginable. That's amazing. Um, we were serving the president. It was just phenomenal. Um, and then after Martha, um, I was with Epicurious, and that was fantastic. That Epicurious was TV, story. wasn't it? Yes, exactly. Epicurious.com um, is the home of Gourmet and Bon Appetit, mm-hmm. um, but they also had a television show, and that that aired at the time on the Discovery Channel, and so I became the executive producer for that, and that was fantastic. That was one of those I can't believe I'm doing this. I had a really hard decision leaving Martha, uh, and I always say that so people know I left on good terms. Right. Um, wasn't fired, um, but I I was ready to move on. I wanted to do something else. The commute was really bearing on me, um, and so I wasn't certain, but I turned in my resignation, accepted this job with Epicurious, and I was still having a little bit of hesitancy, and I was about two weeks into the job, and the uh, executive editor called me in and asked me if I could go spend a couple of weeks of, in Italy shooting some stories, and I thought, yes, I did the right thing. <laughs> That's amazing. So I flew over to Italy and did some stories on pasta and pizza and limoncello, and just fantastic. So it, I've really gotten to do so many wonderful things, and and meet so many neat people. And with all of that straining of the stock, as you say, and um, your experiences with television, I hear there's a possibility you may have a TV show in the works. Is that correct? We're definitely working on it. Um, I've got several production companies that are interested, and actually one company has has come out and basically volunteered to uh, make a pilot. Oh, my Um, gosh. it's uh, it's not the pilot I want though. So we're we're talking to them. I, I want to stay true to to what I am and what I do and my writing and my food. Good for and you. And I'm I'm not going to um, compromise that. I I sort of said in the beginning with with Lisa Eckes, my agent. I said, you know, this is the book I want, and you know how that is, David. It's yep. hard. Very hard. But to my stay point true. was that if it wasn't the book I want, then I didn't need a book. Mm-hmm. And so if it's not the TV I want then I don't need a TV show. But hopefully it'll all work out. I'm sure it will. And I truly, hopefully, please have me on as a guest. Oh, definitely. (laughs) I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, oh, I think we'd have a blast. Absolutely. And the the similarities between Portuguese and Southern cooking, we could have a great time and Uh joke and laugh and have lots of wine on on camera. I was going to say, we'll do that. We'll definitely get a bottle of wine out. All right. So what would you say to some of our listeners who are beginning writers or 
uh, beginning producers, uh, what advice would you give them to further their career, to get to set their cap, as you say, to where they want to get? I had a meeting with a young woman yesterday who's a, a recent culinary graduate. And um, this is sort of sums it up, and this might make so hopefully this will make sense. When I was in culinary school, I always volunteered to strain the stock. Mm-hmm. You know, who wants to strain the stock? Who wants to clean out the refrigerator? Who wants to reorganize the produce bin? Who wants to, you know, just raise your hand? It's all about just getting out there and, and stepping up and, and exposing yourself to new people and new things and um, just always being front forward, you know, meeting people and and trying to learn as much as possible from people. There's not, unfortunately, there's not a, you know, 10-step program. Right. Um, but I love what I do. And so I, I just try to, I try to always volunteer to strain the stock. Well, that's a lovely thing and lovely sentiment. I know that you work extraordinarily hard. I had the pleasure of being on the panel with you, what, two years ago, I guess now? Yes, yes. At the um, the Symposium for Professional Food Writers. And you gave an awful lot to the students and to the uh, your colleagues there. And, well, I just want to thank you very much for chatting with us, Virginia, who is the author of Bon Appetit, Y'all, which is now in its third printing, right? They're considering a third printing. They're considering a third printing. Yeah, they're they're considering a third printing. That is marvelous. And that's only in a couple of months, too. Yes. So that is, I wish you incredible success with the book and incredible success with all of your future ventures. Thank you so much for having me on. This has just been fantastic. I I greatly appreciate it. Sure. Thanks, Virginia. We've been speaking with Virginia Willis, author of Bon Appetit, y'all. And if you want to win a copy of Virginia's book, visit LeetsCulinaria.com and click on the Giveaway Central link at the bottom of the homepage. I'm David Leet for Leet's Culinaria. Thanks for listening. Keep cooking. And check back soon for another episode of our Author's Answers series that will keep you hungry for more. (laughs) 